I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler. On this episode, we'll open with an announcement regarding the Read and Reaction Season Preview Magazine. We'll talk about the spring game, Orange 10, Blue 7 for 4 bits. Uh, plus, we got two more commits on the way, uh, including one major recruit out of the state of texas will that's that's two of the top seven players in texas now in this class of 2024 uh will we have some football to talk about it's not just off-season stuff this week a little bit of football to talk about in this episode yeah it's nice i mean obviously i think uh we would like to see more than 10 to 7 but uh you know it is what it is and i think last week i said i want to see a stop so we saw some stops from the defense saw some pressure from the defense saw a lot about what uh austin armstrong is going to be bringing to the table i think including some uh you know interesting antics after the game but hey it was a good time <laughs> by all keeping everybody interested and uh you know it was fun to see always always fun to have new stuff on tape uh, more cameras at the University of Florida, aren't there, uh, Mr. Armstrong? But, uh, hey, I loved his presence on the sideline. I, I think he's going to be a blast to watch this year. Uh, he he's, brings a ton of energy. I think uh, Pete, Pete Thamel at one point called him a human can of Red Bull. Oh, I he reminds Perfect. He reminds you a lot of like Will Muschamp when Muschamp was like 28, yeah. 29 years old, right? Just like going nuts over there. doesn't care who sees him on, on the camera, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I am dubious that the that the pressure he's going to try to bring is going to work long term, but it's going to be better this year, I think. And we can even see that in the game. We'll get to that. But, uh, you know, look, <laughs> I think it's, it's an interesting opening salvo for him in the spring game. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, let's open the show here with, with a quick announcement about uh, the, the 2023 Read and Reaction Preview Magazine. We're going to be opening it up for pre-order sales. I'll let you fill people in on the details. Yeah, so the official launch date is Memorial Day, right? So that's the official launch date. We're going to offer it this year in both digital and hard copy. And so, um, you know, the, the digital might have a couple of extra things in it, but really we had a lot of people last year ask us for hard copy. That's why we're asking for your address if, <laughs> if you sign up so that we can send it your way. But what we're asking people to do is we're going to give a discount for people who pre-order it before May 1st. That way we'll sort of know what the demand is. We can get those things printed up, get those things shipped out, get them ordered and make sure they actually get there by Memorial Day. We think it's an awesome Father's Day gift. So, you know, if, if, you've, got, if you've got a kid that you think might like it, if you're a kid who think you're who thinks your dad might like it, it'd be a great thing to get as a hard copy thing that you could give to somebody before Father's Day. We sort of culled it down a little bit this year. It's not going to be the 150 pages that it was last year. It's probably going to be more like the 70 to 75 range. But that 7075 is going to be, we think, a lot of what the best content was last year, mm -hmm. along with some added stuff. We're doing some film stuff that's going to include, you know, diagrams. You're going to be able to, you're going to be able to go to the actual YouTube clip and look at the play that's been diagrammed in the magazine, as well as some uh, statistical analysis on recruiting and all sorts of other stuff. So the stuff you really sort of hopefully have come to love from Read and Reaction are the things we're going to be giving you. But again, if you want to order, you can go to readandreaction.com slash mag, M-A-G, just like last year. So readandreaction.com slash mag. We'll also be sending out email blasts to people who are on our email list. We'll certainly be pushing it here on YouTube. And then uh, if you ordered last year, you'll be getting an email as well because we really do appreciate that you helped us out. We're going to be giving a discount for people who order before May 1st. After May 1st, the price is going to go up. You indicate whether you want hard copy, digital copy, or both. And there will be there will be options for all that stuff there. And, uh, you know, we really, really appreciate everybody supporting us. We think it's going to be really cool this year. But like I said, we got a lot of people requesting a hard copy last year. We've worked pretty hard to to, to make that happen this year. It's not an easy thing to go work through that sort of stuff. And, you know, we went through all sorts of options or were we going to try to put it in like Publix and Walmart and that sort of stuff? You know, were we going to go to a printer and have like, you know, 10,000 copies printed and, and all sorts of stuff. We sort of settled on something in between this year, but we're confident that if we get those orders by May 1st, we will be able to uh, get them to you by Memorial Day. So we're excited about it. I think you and I are both tired because we're writing all the content. But we're excited about it. We hope people like the product. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, there are reasons to be excited, but you want to set your expectations. And so that's what we're going to try to do is look at all the numbers, look at all the, the different things that are going on within the program, and then set expectations for the year so that people can can come in with realistic expectations for this team, but also realistic expectations for the program. So, again, if you want to order before Memorial Day or before May 1st, Go over to readandreaction.com slash mag. If you order after May 1st, it may come to you after Memorial Day. And then also uh, the price is going to go up after that. 
Yeah, my wife uh, always tells me that the biggest lie I told her before we got married was that uh, football was only a thing for me during football season. So th- we're spending a lot of time on this magazine <laughs> at nights right now. A lot of late nights put like going in because we are reducing the, the page count to about 70, 75 pages. We haven't settled on an exact one. But the challenge is this year, there's we got we're cutting all the fat from last year. So like last year we went through detailed roster. We were super detailed last year, and it was a lot of fun to bring you those 150 pages. But you know you're you're cutting that almost in half. Well, we're making we're making a point to make every single one of those pages count this year. Yeah, we think it'll be worth your while. We 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 yeah. the hope is is that you'll pick it up in in May and be excited about what's coming. But somebody will say something to you in June or July and you go, well, actually, and you'll go back and pick it up and say, I don't agree with that. Or I do agree with that based on what the stats say about from last year and some of the guys who were coming in. Certainly, there's a lot of lot of questions about the quarterback position. So we'll delve into that. And the reason you said we're still working on it, we don't know what the page count is because the transfer portal is coming up. And so one of the things we're going to be doing is putting finishing touches on stuff um, as we find out who comes in through the transfer portal. And so, um, you know, getting all that stuff to fit within the time of having the launch and those sorts of things it has been a little bit complicated but we're gonna get it done and hopefully everybody likes having something in your hands certainly uh you know we're gonna be ordering them for ourselves just to have on the bookshelf and something we've we've accomplished and put out there so uh you know really excited for people to to get their hands on this excited to see what the feedback is and uh certainly if you want to support us you can do that by going and pre-ordering that will help us there at readreaction.com slash mag and uh you know, we, we appreciate everyone's support and hopefully this is something everybody else is excited for as well. Yeah. Check out the link. Well, we will add the link in the comments here for this video, but we will also be bringing it up uh, for the next several weeks as well. But one of the reasons, Will, you might want to order this magazine is that there are a lot of new faces this year for this 2023 Gator football team. And we saw them on display here in the spring game, moving on here to four bits. And I will tell you what, a lot of young guys making plays on the field. That was the number one thing that jumped out to me about the spring game. I know a lot of people want to focus on uh, the quarterbacks and the defense and what does this mean, but the one thing I, I that that really caught my attention across the board above all else, you saw uh, uh, Castell early on making a, a, a play on, on a ball, breaking up a pass. Jaden Robinson making a couple plays near pick before halftime there. Uh, like we'll get you know what we'll get to the offense here after so we'll just focus on the defensive side here first but like we we mentioned before we got into this here Austin Armstrong just a ball of energy on the sideline saw some good pressure off the edge that defensive front will very stout throughout the night um you know it's a new we we talked about it offensive line we believe in what they built there but they're turning over a lot of guys their first outing you know, in a live type scrimmage like that in front of an audience. So probably some more work to do on that offensive front, but the defensive line made them work all night. And you saw, I mean, even, I believe on one of the third, uh, I believe it was a, it was a third down where Kelby Collins stretched out a play, made a nice, nice tackle on the end, but a lot of presence. You saw Caleb Banks make some plays. I, I love that you hear, heard a lot of new names being called throughout the entire night on Thursday from that defensive unit. Well, there have to be new names because everybody transferred out or graduated. Well, who was who was on that defense last? They were year, which... making plays though, too. It wasn't well, just that there was new names? There I mean, new names making plays. Look, there were nine sacks. There were fourteen tackles for loss. There were eleven quarterback hits, and there were five pass breakups. And there was at no point. I think we. I think you know nine sacks. That would have been halfway to last year's total. Now, granted, you're playing on both sides of the ball. The offensive line was struggling. There were some guys who were gone. A couple of those sacks were. Um, a couple of those sacks were bad snaps that the quarterbacks had to struggle mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were there. I mean, look, it, it's just like any sort of scrimmage. You're going to have some hiccups with having Kingsley Agokin out meant that you had a lot of rod rod uh kearney rod kearney there at center mm-hmm. a lot of bad snaps um that's something that they're gonna have to fix obviously but i i think the big thing that you saw is you saw flashes of athleticism from guys like manny nunnery from guys like human Melan and sap right i mean who were able to both get sacks um and tackles for loss the defensive line position miguel mitchell and, and kamari wilson look pretty good jalen kimber and uh and and shamar james looked good both had six tackles each so you start looking at like what was happening as things were going the the highlight i actually put in uh actually i put two highlights in in my in my recap article one was uh 
with Scooby Williams coming in and he had the, it was a running play and he had correct technique on the running play that allowed him to shed the blocker. And this was, it was William Harad that he shed. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't somebody who, or no, Richie Leonard that he shed. So it wasn't somebody who hasn't had any playing time. So the experienced guy that Scooby Williams came in, took on correctly. So what you don't want to do as a, as a linebacker is you don't want to let the offensive lineman get both of his hands on you and really cover you completely up. You want to take him on with one shoulder and leave the other shoulder free. Scooby Williams does that in a situation where he has to do it in order to fill the gap that he's supposed to fill. Does it perfectly. Etienne ran into him and drove him back three yards, but he was in the right spot. There was a play later that I highlighted. I think it was uh, Boone. It was Justice Boone who played a read. It was a read option type of look. Played it perfectly. They were trying to run a flood wrap, flood concept with a boot, and Boone got right in the quarterback's face, made him make an errant throw. You look at the quarterback throw and you go, that's kind of rough, but it was rough because Justice Boone was there. So mm -hmm. those types of things, when you hear people talk about Florida's defense starting to get it, when you ask the offensive players, what's the difference between the defense this year and last year, what they will tell you is they are understanding the defense in a way that they didn't last year. We saw that in this game and granted the quarterbacks kind of made it look that way too. Um, but, you know, this, that's always the question when you get in the spring game. Is it more the defense excelling or is it the offense struggling? I think in this case, it's a little bit of both. But given how much the defense struggled last year, I think it's an encouraging thing to see the amount of pressure they were getting. And quite honestly, the fact that they were not getting gashed in the running game either. Because if you look at last year, last year's defense was like 97th overall in the country in yards per play allowed on the ground. So they were getting gashed on the ground. And the two games that they played well in last year – on the defensive side of the ball were Kentucky and South Carolina. And those were the two worst teams in terms of yards per rush attempt in the SEC. And so when they were able to stop the run, Florida's defense was able to at least do something useful. The minute they couldn't stop the run, they got gashed. And so you got to give up something. And I think what we saw was more fundamentally sound play up front even though these are younger players. And so that, to me, gives a lot of encouragement heading into a year where, look, Florida's schedule is pretty difficult. And so they're going to need to have an offense or they're going to need to have a defense that's probably better than middle of the pack. But, you know, look, they won six games last year with a defense that was dead last, like worse than Vanderbilt. And so, uh, you know, just improving the middle of the pack or slightly above middle of the pack is going to give them a shot to have a, you know, depending upon what you think about the season, but eight, seven, eight wins, pretty successful season in, in year two under Billy Napier. Not a ton of fireworks on the offensive side of the football, but the the one player that absolutely jumped out to me was Mizell. He, on the first play from, from the line of scrimmage, draws a defensive pass interference because there was a couple times where people just grabbed him because he's just running straight by people. That guy's going to be a problem in the deep with the deep ball this year. If, if we have someone that can connect with him on the deep ball, but it's also, I also thought that was a sign of good coaching too, with the corners too, that they were actually just reaching out and grabbing them rather than letting them go by for a, an easy catch as well. Cause Hey, take the 15 yard penalty in college, but my put a lot of pressure in a couple different situations uh, with that deep ball. Will. Yeah, well, that was something you noticed definitely was there were a lot of flags for pass interference, um, but that also means that your corners are like in the vicinity. And last year, the corners weren't even in the vicinity, and so they didn't get a lot of pass interference calls. There were some pass interference calls that were killers on the linebackers, but I don't really remember a ton of pass interference calls on 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 corners, maybe on safeties too. I think there was one against Georgia on Perkins, um, or maybe that was against Tennessee, but one, one on Perkins, it was just a killer. But beyond that, like, you know, there's a difference between you're in one-on-one -on -one coverage, the guy completely turns you around, you grab him, you take the 15 yards, mm -hmm. versus you're not technically you're not technically sound when there's a throw in the guy's direction and you like yank him on the hip and turn him, and all of a sudden you get a pass interference on like a third and twenty. So when those penalties occur will probably be more important than whether they occur. But the fact that they were occurring and that there's an aggression on the defense that just didn't seem like there was there, I think is an important point to make. Um, look, I think we all knew Ricky Pearsall is the guy who's going to lead these receivers. Um, mm -hmm. He had four receptions for 62 yards in this one. Um, if, if you look, Mizell actually didn't have a catch, but like you said, he still made an impact. And so stood I stood out, still stood out a couple yeah. different times. <laughs> well, look, Arliss Boardingham had three for 33 mm -hmm. and Caleb Douglas, two for 51. So you had some guys who were starting to get out there and, and, and contribute. And that's great, but it's going to come down to Pearsall Henderson. And then whoever that third guy is. And if that third guy is a burner on the outside, who all of a sudden puts a different kind of pressure on the defense, then yeah, that's going to be a big difference maker. And, and that's something that Mizell can bring. 
Um, you know, everybody who's talked about him has said he's the fastest guy out there, the fastest guy on the team. Mm-hmm. Even when they, they interviewed, I think, Henderson last week, and he was like, yeah, it's myself. He's the fastest guy on the yeah. team. He just has a different gear. So, hey, that's great, right? I mean, we're starting to see a buildup of skill players on the offensive side of the ball. And you you even saw it in this game. ETN is a different running back. Right? Montreal Johnson is a good running back. Trayon Webb looked pretty good. Carroll looked pretty good. Carroll had some nice runs. I thought he stood out in the running back room. But but ETN is a different animal at running back. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. one of the reasons why he returns kicks, because his vision is just something that you can't teach. And so with him, Pearsall, and Mizell, I think you start to have sort of the, the, the crux of a good offense. The problem is the guy's pulling the trigger, right? And, and that's the thing that if you just look at the offensive side, you mentioned the struggles that they had on that side. That's where it is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, look, Mertz, 18 to 29 for 244 yards and a touchdown. You actually look at that and go, well, that's not terrible. The quarterback rating is 144. Problem is you had seven sacks for minus 27 yards as well. And so, you know, this is the point that I always try to make with my yards above replacement stat is that sacks are just as much a quarterback decision-making um stat as they are an offensive line stat and so yes a guy like anthony richardson can run his way out of sacks and help himself out but that's part of where he brings value right is that even if he just runs out of the way doesn't get sacked and chucks the ball into the stands it's now second and 10 rather than second and 22 and there were a lot of second and 22s the other night that were there because of merch. So the 244 yards averaging 8.4 yards per attempt, completing 62% of his throws. That was all very good. The fact that you didn't see turnovers through the air also very good, but the sacks are just a killer. And if you use yards above replacement, he ends up negative 0.6 for the game. Now, Jack Miller, 10 of 20 for 144 yards and a touchdown. So 50% completion average 7.2 yards per attempt. He had six rushes for three yards. So he was able to make up for the sack yardage by having a couple of nice runs, a couple of nice scrambles. So he ends up at negative 0.7 when it comes to yards. So basically right where Mertz was. So anyone who says Mertz separated himself, I think through the air, they're actually right. But overall, in terms of total contribution to the offense, there were times where Miller was driving the offense better mm-hmm. than Mertz, especially in the first half. And we need to acknowledge that. Now, one thing I think we should say is that Miller's line last year was 13 to 23 for 121. This year he's 10 of 20 for 144 so that's the thing that worries me a little bit about the defensive performance is miller struggled against this defense last year miller struggled against the defense this year if miller has taken a significant step forward and the defense was still able to stop him then that's great if miller's the same exact guy he was last year then that's a problem but you know you could see it all night long the quarterbacks were hesitant they were not getting the ball out on time even i i think i texted you right at, right at the end of the game and had gone back and watched the touchdown pass that miller had thrown i highlighted this in the article as well it was open from the jump and he was looking in the wrong direction and he should have switched back to the other side really quickly and he didn't do it. And so, you know, you can get away with that every once in a while, but you don't get away with that against Georgia. Right. And so, which is, that, which is a bummer of a point because that touchdown throw where you're rolling out to the right and he hits him in the back of the end zone was such a nice throw that he made. A, but it, it was a, to your point, if he reads it quicker, maybe you don't have to roll out right and make such a great throw. Well, and the bomb um, to Pearsall right before the half. I mean, that was right. one where Pearsall is Had open. Had completely stop. Yeah. He's a yard past him. And the ball, if the ball's thrown up 30 yards, mm-hmm. where it's a 30 yard pass instead of a 40 yard pass, you don't have to get as much on it, right? You can you can just lead him down the sideline and you probably get it out to him before anybody can catch him. Now, look, there's mm-hmm. always the chance you might overthrow him. Sometimes you actually want to just get the 40 yards on the throw. The problem is you could see Mertz double clutch on the play. So he sees it, he sees it come open, and then he doesn't trust himself to let it go. And maybe that's because he's still learning the offense. But maybe it's because that's sort of the the thing that that happens with, with Mertz and Miller, and that's why they struggle is the ball comes out late. So I think that's going to be the determining factor in terms of who wins the starting job is going to be who becomes the person who's more decisive. Because when they were decisive, they were very effective. When they had to go to their second or third read or – and this is the interesting thing about the Florida defense in the game – when the Florida defense did something post-snap, so they showed something pre-snap and then changed it post-snap or right before the snap – the quarterback really struggled. And, you know, look, that that's indicative of not understanding the offensive. They talked a lot about Mertz saying that, well, or Miller saying that he knew the offense now, so he's focused a lot on the defense. I didn't see that. What I saw was somebody who's still sort of struggling with what the actual offense is asking him to do. 
And I know there's a lot of talk about the offense being vanilla, but that worries me even more because if the offense is vanilla and you still don't have the concepts down in terms of where you should go against various defenses, then what happens when it gets more complex? So I think they're going to have to have some window dressing this year if these are the quarterbacks. If if one of these guys ends up being the starter, they're going to have to have a lot of stuff to sort of help the quarterback along. And having guys like ETN and Pearsall and Mizell is really going to help. But you don't have the trigger man this year like you have in the past. And I, I think um, it's not a secret that Florida is going to be in the market for a guy in the transfer portal. And, you know, there's even been talk about Austin Simmons potentially reclassifying in 2023. I don't imagine he would consider doing that if he's not going to have an opportunity to compete for the job. So, uh, you know, look, there's a lot of interesting stuff still to come on the quarterback position. What are the odds that we see, assuming we don't pick up anybody in the portal, assuming Simmons does not cl- reclassify? What are the odds we see both Miller and Mertz in game one against Utah? Honestly, I think Miller's going to win the job. And I think most people look at Mertz and think think he has the better arm talent, which is true. They think he has the better pedigree, which is true. But Miller, the way he runs the ball, he's going to keep you from getting in third and 17 on a regular basis. I think Mertz is going to put him in third and 17 sometimes. You saw that when he was at Wisconsin. And, I mean, he was in the shotgun, but he was still late getting the ball out sometimes. He was still inconsistent. There were times where he did really, really good things. But there were times where he did stuff that you just went, yeah, you can't do that when you've been a three-year starter. And and so that's the thing. So, I, you know, look, if if I had to choose between those two today, based on what I saw in this game, based on their time already in college, and based on their high school profiles, I would say Miller is the guy who's got the higher ceiling because his running is going to keep you in third and two, third and sixth, you know, even third and nine situations instead of third and 12, third and 16, third and 20. And third and 20, third and 16, that's where you get turnovers. That's where you get the back-breaking stuff. You get in that situation, it completely kills drives. You're at the opponent's 27-yard line, and you take a sack, and all of a sudden now it's a 50-yard field goal. And given what we saw in this game, a 50-yard field goal is not going to be a sure thing for this team. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's – if you asked me who's going to start of these two, I'd say I'd say it's Miller. But, again, I haven't seen everything in practice either. But it was telling. I, I saw a couple of beat writers who were sort of snarkily um, – or, you know, I mean, tongue-in-cheek um, tweeting about, you know, and you people got mad at us when we, when we were showing videos of throws f- from the quarterbacks behind the receivers, right? <laughs> well, we <laughs> and, saw one with Mertz to uh, Henderson. On Henderson had a step on the guy, and it, it's a good throw. Henderson might have taken it to – distance uh Mertz had it a little behind and kind of, kind of threw it it kind of really threw it in there pretty hard for no reason well, he could have just kind of laid it up for Henderson it would have been a nice easy touchdown and uh it, look I, I'm with you I, I don't think these quarterbacks look totally comfortable all night part of it though Napier even commented after the game part of it was that the offensive line was just under siege for most of the night there was a lot of pressure up the middle too they kept uh they kept calling it a muddy pocket there for the quarterbacks. I feel like they used that phrase about like 15 times on the broadcast. They, they fell in love with that phrase a little bit, but uh, Napier definitely referred to that as well. So got to keep that in mind as well. So they weren't, it wasn't the best protection on the night, but I, I'm with you because of that. I think Miller stood out a little more to me simply because of the mobility he brings to the table. And I think, I, I think you're going to see both of these guys in 2023 I think you have two high-level backup quarterbacks for if you're talking about championship-level football, right? These guys would be high-level backups for a championship-level team. Neither one of these would be the starting quarterback for a championship-level team, but they're two high-level backups. And and certainly they're capable of starting games, but, I I mean, 2023 is going to be – you got to go with the guy that's going to give you the best shot game to game. Maybe it's drive to drive. It wouldn't surprise me if Napier had packages for Miller. Like if you get into the red zone and you want to use Miller's running ability a little bit, maybe maybe Merch is your guy going down the field and and you throw Miller in in the red zone. It it wouldn't surprise me to see a little bit of both this year. We'll see. I I think um, there's so much that can happen because of the transfer portal at this point. Um, that I'm not willing – I don't think any, either one of these performances is going to make the coaches go, well, we don't need anybody else. I think, if anything, it might accelerate the fact that we do need somebody else. And there are going to be co- people who come free, right? There are going to be quarterbacks who – But didn't we know that? Ba- didn't we know that already? Did we need the spring game to learn that? 
No, but it confirmed it. Okay. <laughs> and so, I mean, look, there's been a lot of talk. The minute Mertz transferred, a lot of people were like, well, it's the Wisconsin offense. It's the Wisconsin offense. Well, the Florida offense looked a lot like the Wisconsin offense the other night because um, the the quarterbacks wound up in third and long a lot. And I, mm-hmm. I hear what people are saying about the offensive line, but it's not like these guys were getting hit. So if you're seeing ghosts when you got a black jersey on, like that's a problem. And the other thing is, is that you think uh, it's seeing ghosts or that there was legitimate like their pockets collapsing around well, these I mean, guys the pocket, on a regular basis well, here I mean, where it's pocket, not. Look, if you go back and look at it, the ball was coming out late consistently. Mm-hmm. And so bad combination. There, there were multiple <laughs> sacks where if the quarterback had gotten rid of the ball on time, no one would have said anything about the defensive line getting there. There yeah. were a couple of times where the defensive line just got there, but I would say there were probably four, maybe five sacks the entire night that were sacks that were specifically just on the offensive line. Now, look, five sacks in a game, still bad. But it's not like you got a helmet in the back, right? Like, it's not something where you're getting hurt and you're feeling it and they've sort of announced their presence of authority and you're going to get skittish back there. At least you shouldn't. It's just, it's a scrimmage. You didn't get hit. They blew the whistle and called it a sack. And, you know, there are things you should do otherwise. And one of those things is, there were a bunch of times where the running back was open. And that's one thing that when you go back and look at the film, if you go back and look at it, there are a bunch of times where Armstrong's defense was very aggressive and forgot to pick up the running back out of the backfield. And at no point did the quarterbacks just dump it off to ETN or Johnson or Webb or Carroll and let them run. Cause they would have had a 10 yard head start on anybody who was anywhere near them. Um, you know, again, scrimmage, I get what you're trying to do. You want to get through your progressions, but that's the thing is when you're slow through your progressions, these things are timed out, right? So if you've got mm-hmm. crossing routes within someone running a hook behind, and there was a play where they ran that, um, where they had these crossing routes across the middle and then a hook behind to play. They ran against Tennessee last year um, to try to get a first down. If you've already bells from the pocket before the guy hooks around, then you're screwed. You're never going to be able to make that first down because the play, if if you're going against a zone defense, those crossers don't do you any good. <laughs> they're they're man beaters. And so you need that hook behind the, the man beaters in order to isolate the zone. And so what you end up with is a very difficult throw to the sideline that almost is never going to be complete or you have to dump the ball away. So I agree with you that there was a lot of pressure, but a muddy pocket is the reality in the SEC. And you need to be able to go bam, bam, bam in your progressions and get the ball out, especially if you're not mobile. So Mertz, not being not being that mobile of a guy, needs to go one, two, three, balls out every time. And even if that just means the ball gets chucked down at his running back's feet because his running back's right around there. You see that all the time with like Peyton Manning when he was quarterback, where he just like takes one step back and then chucks it right at his running mm-hmm. back's feet. What has he accomplished? Well, he's accomplished that it's second and 10 rather than second and 18. And those sorts of things seem like minor details. Those are major details. That's the whole point behind yards above replacement is that I think sacks, especially in college, are a quarterback stat. I think there are times where the defense just wins every once in a while. But I think for the most part, it's did you get through your progressions fast enough? Did you get the ball out quickly? And neither one of those guys did that last or the other night. So, um yeah. Can they? Yeah, absolutely. They can. That's a development thing. The problem is, is that I saw the same thing in Miller last year. If you go back and read my spring spring game recap, the difference between him and Anthony Richardson in that game was Richardson was getting the ball out fast. And, you know, look, Richardson ends up being a guy who doesn't get sacked very often last year, very inconsistent, but didn't get sacked very much last year. You go and look at the game against Oregon state. Again, the ball kind of comes out late. You look at this spring game, the ball's coming out late. So there, there's a lot of work to be done here. Again, I think the transfer portal is going to be big for Florida. And like, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, Simmons potentially um, reclassifying as well. He's not going to reclassify if he doesn't think he can compete for the job. I don't think they're going to guarantee him the job, but I think they're going to give him the opportunity to compete if he reclassifies and um, more competition would be better, obviously. Also one, one of the last note here on the spring game here, I want to shout out the Marcus Burt touchdown catch, but the Tyrone pro throne hug catch on uh, Jakeem Jackson was awesome. That was a, that was a great play by Burke and boy, that's a receiver that if we can get him to step up this year, he's certainly physically, there's no doubt that this guy is capable, but we just haven't seen it yet on the field. Look, I mean, he, he's he been the guy who everybody's talked about being a burner prior to Mizell getting there. Mm-hmm. And so 
this is Florida is going to have to piece together multiple guys who can go out there and do do all of the different things that you need to do. And so Burke and Mizell at one position is the burners. Pearsall is the guy who's sort of the all-purpose receiver. Henderson is the guy who's going to get the screen passes and all those sorts of things. Critical. Having Burke being able to go up and get it, awesome. The question to me is going to be, can he block? Right, because what they're going to want to do in this offense is there are going to be times where you got numbers on the outside, ball's going to get chucked out in that direction, and the and the wide receiver has to block. It's very similar to in the Dan Mullen offense, the running back had to block, which is a reason why there were guys who didn't get on the field very often early on at running back, even though they might have been more gifted players because they weren't good in pass protection, they weren't effective blockers, those sorts of things. Same thing at the wide receiver position. And and Napier mentioned after the game just the level of maturity for Burke over the last year, how much progr- how much mm-hmm. progress he's made there. And so I think when he's talking about that, he's really talking about knowing the playbook, being willing to block so that then when they call your number and chuck it deep, you'll be available to get that. Now, look, I mean, I said something that I think Dave on Gators Breakdown last week that uh, um, Dante Zanders was the best receiver on the field last year during the spring game, and uh, we saw what happened during the year. So we do need to be very, very careful that this entire game is a caveat. At the same time, when you see stuff sort of consistently over and over, and it sort of reinforces tape you've already seen, that's when you start to look at stuff. So the sacks and all that sort of stuff are really encouraging because it's not something we've seen on tape previously. It's something new. You look at the quarterbacks, we've seen hesitation from these guys in the past. We're seeing hesitation now. So it sort of reinforces that. Um, you know, again, when it comes to Burke, we've seen him catch the ball downfield. I don't think there's any doubt that he can do that. The question is going to be all the little things and that sort of stuff. But but it's but it's good to see. And and look, they're gonna they're gonna need guys to step up this year at the wide receiver position. And and Burke is gonna be a big part of that if Floor is gonna be successful. I know he didn't have a big day on the stat sheet, but uh Andy Gene the couple times he got his the ball in his hand, he he looked like uh he's he flashed a little bit. Well, you're always making fun of me with Gene. It's always like he ran a great route, and they show like an out during the spring game or something. That, that's like, like during practice where people are like, <laughs> "Man, great out route!" I'm like, "He's running out of air, guys." Let's. I mean, yeah. the cuts look good. He looks. Yeah, he's a great athlete. He plays at Florida. Look, like I'm saying, I think it, it, in in like there was a, a, a there's one highlight going around of, of him uh, putting on a good juke move, but he's got he's got to be that quick. Guy. You talk about the screen game. He'd be a guy I like to see. Uh, catch some screen passes this year. Let's get Henderson out running downfield. I'd like to see Gene get a couple screen passes this year. I, I'll be honest. Out of the three wide receivers this year, the freshman coming in, I want to see one guy turn into like an all SEC freshman level player um, rather than force feeding the three of them. I think if Mizell is that guy, then get him all the reps you can and get him in that place where he's where he's that freshman All-SEC. It's really unusual that you're going to have three guys come in at the receiver position who get immediate playing time and are able to really drive drive change on the offensive side of the ball. And with Pearsall and Henderson, unless those guys get injured, knocking on wood, I, you know, I don't think you're, those guys are going to get a ton of time unless they're able to push their way through. Mizell has the skills to be able to do that. Gene does as well. And Eugene Wilson, who isn't here yet, um, he may have those skills as well. But if we're relying on three reg- or three true freshmen at wide receiver and really looking at their development as reasons for hope in this year, I think that's probably an issue. Like we, we like if we have one guy who steps up, like if you think about like the Antonio Callaway year where he comes in as a freshman, doing all sorts of stuff all over the place, but there were solid receivers also in the fold in addition to Callaway. That's what I think you want to be looking for. If it, And look, I get it. We, we know that people have to step up, so we're sort of looking everywhere for it. But if if all three of those guys are major contributors this year, something's probably going wrong uh, on the Florida offensive side of the ball, either with injuries or with something else. Because, uh, um, you know, I, I think what you really want to see is one guy take a step up, a couple of guys make some decent contributions in, in a couple of games, and then sort of just go from there. Well, the biggest announcement on the night came at halftime from Xavier Filsamy, six foot one, one hundred eighty pound, five star safety out of McKinney, Texas, uh, ranked the second best safety in the nation. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, two of the top seven players in Texas now committed to the Gators for the twenty twenty four cycle, joining DJ Lagway, uh, who's also out of Texas. There, uh, Filsamy will watch this tape. He's a safety that likes to step up there. Like he he can hit, he can cover. His speed is unbelievable. 
He just goes sideline to sideline. You see him track down guys at incredible angles from across the field. That really a couple times he he had no business catching a couple different players that he ended up catching. But I I, I love this tape. I think he's uh, another big time big time get for Billy Napier, just proving that the future is bright for Florida. I know we're talking we're painting a little bit of a bleak picture for 2023 with some of the stuff we're talking about here, but the future is definitely bright, and this is more evidence of it. Yeah, I mean, look, the 2024 class is awesome at this point. I mean, you think about it. You got Lagway, Phil Simi, Miles Graham, Darius Hayes, all top 50 guys for all four recruiting services. I think Darius Hayes is like 70th ranked in one of them, but other than that, he's mm-hmm. top 50 in all of them. Um, depending upon where you go, the 24-7 composite has Phil Simi, Graham, and Hayes as composite four stars. DJ Lagway is a composite five star. But look, what we really talk about when you and I are on here is top 50, right? Like those are sort of the elite of the elite. That's the stuff that's been missing in all of Billy Napier's recruiting classes so far. He's got four of them now. He had two in the first two in the first two recruiting classes that he had. Top 50 guys who were consensus uh, composite five-star guys. You add to that Chauncey Bowens and then a guy we're going to get to in a second at running back and Josiah Davis at safety. Davis is actually an interesting case because he's a three-star ranked 513th overall. Really, really good prospect. But when you think about having Phil Simi in the fold as well, Davis makes a ton more sense, right? Because you're bringing in a guy who's going to come in, is willing to red shirt, who's willing to sort of learn behind a guy like Phil Simi, who's going to get early playing time. And I think that's a big thing here is that clearly Napier is able to sell early playing time because his entire team this year is basically freshmen, redshirt, freshmen, sophomores, and redshirt, sophomores. <laughs> so there is a lot to talk about in terms of we got young guys playing and you're going to have an opportunity to play. Phil Simi has been a Florida lean for a pretty long time, but to have it happen during the spring game, the fact that they've got four top 50 guys before before it even really becomes time for like recruits to really start hitting. Like it's not till August or September that you start looking at recruiting classes and saying, Hey, this is a, this is a big deal, but Florida now third overall in average player ranking tied with Georgia. They're just behind Alabama, but Alabama only has four commits. Georgia has 12 Florida now with seven. So where this class is headed really brings a lot of hope. And that's one of the things, look, You look at the young guys, what they were able to contribute in defense in the spring game, and then here's what's coming. Filsimi, Graham, and Hayes. We're about to get some athletes at linebacker and safety who are going to be added in to the the guys who've already been been brought in. And look, I've been critical of Napier's recruiting because 14th isn't good enough to compete with Georgia and Alabama on a regular basis. But it should be good enough to beat, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina and all those sorts of teams. And so neighbors going to win a lot of games with these guys. These guys though, are the type that puts you up over the top. Like these are the guys who end up in the NFL after three years. These are the guys who come in as true freshmen and you say, Oh yeah, good. That guy can't be drafted yet. <laughs> He's still got years of eligibility. And I want to say the last guy that that happened to for Florida was Kyer Elam. And before that was CJ Henderson. And other than that, I can't remember a guy who was like coming off of his sophomore year. And we're like, oh yeah, he still has one more year, but he, he like, he would be the, like you think about uh, the def- defensive end for Alabama. Um, Will um, Anderson. Will Anderson. Yep. Where after his, fr- after his sophomore season, he would have been the number one pick in the draft, but mm-hmm. he wasn't eligible to go. So he comes back this year and plays again. Um, though these, that's the sort of player that's being added. Phil Simi fits that profile. You think about guys like Ed Reed, guys, guys like uh, like Reggie Nelson, the way he flies around in the field, the way you've described it. Um, that's the kind of player you're getting. If he can step in day one, all of a sudden Florida with Kamari Wilson, Miguel Mitchell, Phil Simi, and then Josiah Davis sort of backing that up, you're getting a really, really strong defensive back room at a position that's becoming more and more and more important given the diversity of offenses that are around college football. Yeah, he's not afraid to step into the gap too and and, and fill the hole because he there's a that's half of his highlight tape is him just stepping in, taking on a running back head on. He he doesn't he doesn't seem like he has much regard for his body when he's playing out there. So he's a fun physical player to watch, and certainly seems like uh, hey the other part too. Will Texas base. Texas and Texas A&M they haven't made any noise on the recruiting trail in the last couple of years, have they? I, I, we're going into Texas. We're taking these guys out of Texas, bringing them over to Florida. You're going into enemy territory and getting it done, especially with Texas coming over into the SEC. You got AM already in the SEC. Yeah. Hey, that, I, I think that's just 
showing it's what Georgia does too. Georgia goes anywhere in the country they want and they just go get the best players right now, right? Alabama's been doing that for years. Billy Napier, it's great to get the guys in your backyard. We certainly stress that. We talk about that. There's certainly we're in a state that's populated with a lot of great talent. Georgia and Alabama certainly seem to think so because they come down here enough for it. But at the same time, they also go all over the country to get the best players. This is a perfect example of that. This is a good example of Napier being able to deliver on what we were hoping for. And we didn't see as much at the beginning of his uh, tenure last year. We we all know how the class went where it picked up down the stretch a, a little bit. It started a little slow, picked up a little bit as it went. But, man, just coming out on fire with this class and another big pickup uh, going into Texas, Will. Well, so if you look at – um, the rumblings that have come out of Florida. It has been that NIL took the organization a little bit by surprise, that the inflation that was occurring from NIL, that sort of the craziness associated with NIL, certainly the chaos that was around Jaden Rashada, I think indicates that that is true. I don't think it's a coincidence that Filsami commits the same day that they announce the, the Florida victorious NIL that sort mm-hmm. of now annexing the Gator Collective and becoming the unified NIL um, space for the Florida Gators and a place where now there are professional people who are in charge. And look, I think the Gator Collective tried to do a really nice thing. I think in many ways they, they set the groundwork for what Florida's NIL is going to be. At the same time, NIL at this point is a full-time position for anyone. It's fundraising. Mm -hmm. It's making sure that you have all the connections you need. It's now because of some of the Florida laws that have been passed, interfacing with the coaching staff to understand their needs and wants and how they value players and all those sorts of things. And so Florida has set that up and all of a sudden recruiting picks up. I don't think this is, you know, look, Florida was in, Florida was in the top three of a top three class. <laughs> if they if they'd have landed half the guys that they were in the top three for, and maybe even the top two for, we would have been raving about Napier's class last year. The problem is all those guys, you know, Cormani McLean and Okunlola and and all those guys who were sitting there in that category decided to go someplace else. And um, you know, given some of the rumblings that were out there, sometimes that was NIL related. Not all the time, but sometimes that was NIL related. The fact that there's now a cohesive plan, a cohesive professionally run organization to interface with Florida, I think is going a long way. And the relationship aspect that Billy Napier brought to the table is now starting to pay dividends from the standpoint of because NIL is no longer a detriment, you are able to now bring in these guys. I think that's what this is an indication of. I think the fact that you've got these high, high level elite guys coming is that they've been able to merge both of those things together in a way that in the first two classes, they weren't able to do so. Very, very, very encouraging news on the recruiting front. Uh, A little plug for our buddy uh, Dave Waters there over at Gators Breakdown, an interview with uh, Florida Victorious last week. So if you want more information on that, check out that interview on Gators Breakdown. All right, let's move on here. Close it out with a dollar. Kanan Daniels running back, 5'11", 190 pounds out of West Point, Mississippi. And the, the first thing I thought when I watched this highlight tape is this is a bit repetitive. You talk about the guys lining up at quarterback, but you go back to memories of Ronnie Brown running the wildcat for the 2008 Tony uh, Sperano Dolphins there. And he's not the quickest guy. He's not the most physical guy, but he still manages to break a bunch of explosive runs and completely run over people. I saw one clip, Will. I think I sent you the screenshots of it, breaking it down. Because it was just an incredible, it was an incredible clip here. He he jumps over a guy, stiff arms another dude, and then trucks one more player on the way to the end zone on about a fifty yard touchdown run. Just a steady player when it comes, and at this point when it comes to running backs, until proven otherwise, this is for me. I I trust Napier implicitly with this. Is Napier has a knack for finding great running backs back to his days. They were producing NFL running backs on a regular basis out of Louisiana. You look at Montreal Johnson stepping right in last year, ETN as a freshman producing. Carroll looked fantastic the other night. Anytime Napier puts a stamp on a running back, I'm just going to automatically get excited from here on out, Will. Well, I mean, I think there are reasons to be excited beyond just that. I mean, the guy averaged 10 yards per carry over like 200 carries last year, right? So high workload, high efficiency. So whether or not you're seeing some giant like – 
you know, Dalvin Cook type explosivity is less important than the fact that he's wiggly enough that he's getting 10 yards of carry. Now, obviously that starts to come down once you get into once you get into college football because everybody has the skills to be able to track you down. The tackling's a lot better. At the same time, like he he he's not a running back, right? He's been playing a lot of quarterback type of stuff, like you said, wildcat running. Um, but great. Right. I mean, that you don't necessarily like Napier's offense isn't doesn't need Barry Sanders. In fact, it might cause problems. Well, Barry Sanders could play in any offense, but yeah, we can take Barry Sanders. (laughs) But you know, to be able to put your foot in the ground and go north south and then run somebody over, um, that's something that's a specific skill. You start thinking about like the Denver Broncos who drafted guys in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round over and over and over again, and then were able to find guys like Terrell Davis. But then there were other guys who were less skilled than Davis who were able to, to, um, to really excel in that space. You think about Clinton Portis who excelled and then they, and then they traded him to, to Washington for champ Bailey, which was like an absolute fleecing because when Portis got to, got to Washington, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, he's not in the same scheme. It doesn't work the same way. So I think scheme goes a long way here in terms of being able to have these running backs who are successful Napier again from a planning perspective because he's his own offensive coordinator he can bring in two offensive line coaches which then allows you to really focus on the details you look at what NFL teams are doing with the 49ers right now with the Rams right now those sorts of offenses that's the kind of offense that Florida's trying to build and look this is a guy who's going to be able to contribute to that he's not a can't miss prospect but a running back ranked 350th that's not a guy that you look at and say he can't turn out and turn into an elite player. Those guys get drafted about, you know, 15 to 20% of the time and running back specifically, um, you know, oftentimes are difficult to evaluate because the offensive and defensive lines in Mississippi are very different than the offensive and defensive lines in Florida and Texas and California and those sorts of things. And so look, somebody who averages 10 yards of carry, like you said, because of his background and because of his track record, I think at running back more than anything, you probably really trust Billy Napier there. Um, but I wouldn't be excited about Daniels without the four guys at the top, but Daniels is an enormous addition because you need to fill out your roster with those types of guys. And so this isn't a can't miss prospect, but this is a guy who absolutely can be an NFL player. And so, you know, we talk about all the time that recruits are lottery tickets that you're, you're playing probabilities. And so this is a big part guys who are ranked three fiftieth, 400, you know, 250, those are a big part of having a class that ends up ranked number one, two, or three because you have those elite prospects and then you have to fill out the back end with guys who are going to pan out, you know, 15, 20% of the time and really be the crux of what your roster is going to be as you try to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, at this point, Will, does it feel like we're getting a little spoiled here with recruiting? Because we're getting to the point where I feel like we're looking up every week and we're getting – the way they roll it out, they do such a good job of keeping Florida in the new cycle with this. I feel like they're every week you got something new rolling out here the last several weeks. And I, I feel like Napier and his staff, they know what they're doing. They know how to control that. And they're just, they're just leaking it out slowly here, but look, I mean, it seems like a lot more good to come with this 2024 class. Look, it's April, right? It's early. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that anybody who's read my stuff um, realizes is that there's a lot of variability in recruiting classes, either from a point total or an average player rating very early on. It starts to settle down around August, August or September, and right. that average player rating is where you end up. So if they go, if they go get commits from five, three stars over the next three, over the next three months, well, okay, we're kind of right back to where we were, even though you've got these elite guys, you've got elite guys and then a bunch of three stars and, and, you know, I think I'd rather have that than sort of guys who are all ranked in the hundreds, but you're not competing with Alabama and Georgia at that point. Now, if he adds two more, two more five stars, maybe one of these guys jumps up into the five-star territory. You mentioned Phil Simi is, is a five-star ranked in in a couple couple of the services. Right. And Mm -hmm. so if you add a couple of more five stars, if he jumps up into the five star, if you add a couple of guys in the one twenty to one thirty range, well, all of a sudden, yeah, you're looking at that going into August or September, saying this could be a monster recruiting class. And you know, to me, that's always been the thing. Is the reason that the reason I got frustrated with Dan Mullen wasn't necessarily the results on the field the year that he decided to leave, or the year that Florida decided to make him leave. the The thing that was frustrating was that that was the the future because we had had four straight years of recruiting at that level. And so you looked at it and said, Kyle Pitts was sort of a McIlwain recruit that he managed to, to convince to stay. Um, 
you know, Emory Jones was his hand-picked quarterback. Um, Kadarius Tony was a guy who was brought in by McIlwain. So the McIlwain guys were the guys who excelled, and all of a sudden, now the guys he brought in weren't succeeding. And since there weren't any elite can't-miss guys in there, you required development. We weren't seeing development. And so there wasn't really any reason to see patience. This is a reason to see to be patient. Right. Like if we have a bad year this year, or even if next year things aren't right where we want, the fact that DJ Lagway and Austin Simmons are sitting there and waiting at the at the quarterback position, mm-hmm. the fact that you got Miles Graham and Adarius Hayes who are going to be able to join Shamar James and and do Spurlock at the linebacker position, the fact that you're going to have Xavier Filsamy joining Kamari Wilson at the safety position, all of a sudden you look at it and go, Oh, like Stacking. we're gonna ha- we're gonna have talent everywhere. We're gonna be able to we're, the day I really look forward to is the day where you and I are writing a preview magazine where we're not saying if we have an injury here, it will be catastrophic. Cause last year you and I both looked at it and said, man, if Javon Dexter goes down, Ooh, is that defense screwed? And then it turned out that Javon Dexter just had to play so many plays that by the second half, he was ineffective because he was out there all the time, which was kind of the same thing. Right. And so to not have to say that at some point along the way will be great. So I look at this right now and I say, very, very encouraged. Got to finish the deal and then have to finish the deal the year after and the year after that and the year after that. Because Nick Saban ain't stopping, Kirby Smart ain't stopping, and so Billy Napier can't stop. These recruits, awesome news. We should be very, very excited. But we need to we need to have that excitement and have that momentum and push it forward into 2025, 2026, 2027, because that's the reality is that you have to stack these things one on top of each other every year. It never stops. It's never good enough. You got to go, 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 go when it comes to bringing in the league, guys. Well, you, you just feel it's starting to shift a little bit, though, don't you, Will? That's that's the good news. So Hey, these we we'll were in the final two and these guys. Here. Yeah, we we were in the final two and these guys chose us. Right in the past, Florida's had guys in the final two or final three, and they've chosen elsewhere. And so the tide has definitely turned. Got to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. All right, next Tall Tales out on Tuesday. The nineteen eighty two Southern Cal Trojans come into Florida Field to face Charlie Pell and the Gators. The Gators make a big statement on a national stage. Will, where can people find the link for the magazine? Well, so first off, a lot of positive feedback on the tall tales. We appreciate that. Yeah, um, Nick put you. a lot of Nick put a lot of hard work into that. He's the storyteller. I'm the nerd, and so uh, we make a pretty good combination. But it's been kind of cool to see something that's specifically just storytelling. So if you like sort of narrative around, you know, Florida famous games, if you were there for that '97 game in the swamp against Florida State, you know, really the greatest game ever played is sort of the way it's 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 uh, monikered. Maybe you weren't there and you want to sort of understand what people are talking about and what they felt. You can go check that out. Again, if you're maybe a little bit older, um, you'll remember that USC game. But just think about that USC being at the swamp um, and 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 thinking through that. So Tall Tales has been really interesting, really entertaining. I'm I'm looking forward to all the rest of those that are coming out. Um, Yes, back to what you said. The magazine, readandreaction.com slash mag. Pre-order by May 1st. You get a discounted rate after May 1st. The rate's going to go up. Um, if you want it by Memorial Day, you got to get that order by May 1st. Otherwise, it may be a little bit after that. Um, certainly, uh, if you want a digital copy, you can get it over there as well. Um, you know, you're not you're not beholden to having a hard copy, but we'd love to give it to you if you can. And again, that's readandreaction.com slash mag. Readandreaction.com slash mag. Have a great weekend, everyone, and go Gators. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.